Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone back for our parenting class here this Sunday. Welcome back. If you were not with us last week, this is the parenting class. If you are looking for the membership class, it's next door, um, but hopefully you are here in the right place. And um, if you weren't here, I uh, hope you had a chance to pick up one of our, uh, our notebooks over here, um, and you can add this week's handout to your, uh, your little uh, report protector thing there so that you keep all those together. Um, just a reminder as well about our refreshment signups. I'll send out another, uh, another reminder this week. Thanks so much to those who brought snacks this week so that folks have plenty to eat. And uh, feel free to help yourself to more throughout the morning. Refresh your coffee. It's a, an informal class, so don't feel like you can't, uh, can't help yourself to those things. Well, let me pray for us, and we will get back into what we want to think about as parents today. Father, we're thankful to be together. We're thankful for the gift of parenting the gift of children and uh, the responsibility that it is to, to faithfully lead and shepherd um, children. Lord, we, we thank you for your word and for the truth that it gives, the clarity with which it speaks to the issues of life. And um, we pray that as we um, are, are here together reflecting on the truth of your word, studying it together, that you would shape our hearts and our minds, that you would um, change how we interact with our children, even as a result of our time together. Uh, we look forward to all that you have in store for us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, last time we began to lay a foundation for how we should think as parents. We were reminded that if we're going to rightly think about parenting, we can't just think about parenting. We have to understand that parenting is one part of God's larger design for the family, and the family is just one part of God's larger plan for what he is doing in the world, and, and that God is, is at work redeeming a people for himself through the work of his son, and, and family and parenting is a, a means to that end. And, and so God is at work through us as parents and in us as parents. He wants to redeem us, to transform us, to be more Christ-like. And that's part of what God is doing in every interaction that we have with our children is it's an opportunity for us to grow and to be more like Christ. And then he wants us to be instruments in the lives of our kids. And so every interaction with our children is an opportunity for us to, to be involved seeking to shape them, to direct their hearts to Christ, to understand their need of him and, and the desire to live for him. And, and so the most important thing about us as parents is that we are living lives that are centered on the things of Christ and his word. And, and so you don't have to read every parenting book to be a good parent. Uh, you do have to embrace the wisdom that God gives in his word, but it comes back to, uh, at its core, being centered on the things of Christ, living for him and his glory. And so we want to transition from that foundation to, so what does the Bible say parenting should look like? How should we, as those who love Christ and are eager to be instruments in the lives of our children, how should we parent? I want you to turn to Ephesians this morning as we begin. Ephesians chapter 6 gives us a really concise summary of our job description as parents. And again, this verse flows out of the context of Ephesians. He's already spent three chapters, the first three chapters, describing the, the gospel, the work of God, in redeeming a people for himself. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He says, Because of who God is, what he's done, we should live a particular way. And one of the specific areas of life that should be shaped by that is our parenting. And so Ephesians chapter 6 Starting, let's start in verse 1 for context. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. 
Now, this, this verse is specifically directed at fathers. We were reminded last week of the, the fact that God created Adam first as head of the, of the, the house, and, and there's a, a weight and a responsibility that fathers should feel for leading their families as it relates to, to every area, but in, that includes parenting. This doesn't mean that this verse doesn't apply to mothers, but he's highlighting that that, uh, that unique role that God has given to fathers, but for all parents, these are instructions that apply to us. And he, he says, don't provoke your children to anger. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But positively, what are we to do as parents? We are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To, to bring them up is is a word that's used back in chapter 5 of how a husband should nourish his wife. Think of, of a gardener who is tending a plant, who is, who is carefully uh, cultivating the growth of that plant. That's what parents are to do. We are to bring them up, to care for our children, to cultivate them in a way that leads to their growth. And he highlights really two tools that we have at our disposal as we seek to do this. He says, bring them up in the discipline or training and instruction of the Lord. Again, both of these, discipline and instruction, are still centered on the Lord. We see that Christ-centeredness of our parenting, that it's about Christ and it's for Christ. But two tools in our toolbox. We're gonna consider the first of those this morning and next week, that of discipline or training. Now, now these two words, these two nouns, discipline and instruction, are, are similar, um, but they have some distinction in, in the emphasis of them. The, the first of them refers more to training. In fact, it's sometimes translated that way, sometimes as discipline. Um, it, it refers, as Stuart Scott says in his book, The Faithful Parent, to structured guidance and restraint. We'll see it in Hebrews 12 of, of the discipline of the Lord. Uh, we see it in, in 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. The second of these, instruction, speaks more to verbal instruction and warning, although training involves that as well. We see it used elsewhere in scripture like in 1 Corinthians 10.11. It says these things were written for our instruction. Or in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, it's, it's used as rejecting a factious man after a first and second warning. So verbal instruction and then the, the structured guidance and, and restraint that we bring into a child's life. You know, most of us, I would guess prefer the verbal instruction side of parenting. You know, it's kind of fun. You get to hear yourself talk or things like that. Um, the discipline and training part is, is oftentimes more, uh, more neglected. Maybe you're wired differently, and that's, and that's okay. But today and next week, we're going to focus on that, that first aspect of discipline, and then we'll spend a couple weeks thinking about instruction. Now, when we think of discipline, most of us probably think of corrective discipline. Somebody does something wrong, and there's a response of discipline. That, that may be what comes to your mind regarding your parents or, or other contexts where you got in trouble, school or other things. There was discipline as a consequence. And, and that's certainly true and a part of this discipline and training, the corrective aspect of that. The Bible uses words like discipline, chastise, chasten, reproof, correct, a response to sin in someone's life. But we'll see that this idea also includes really formative training. When, when you think of, again, words like discipline, train, even instruct sometimes, this is more of preemptive training for our children. You know, I have the joy of coaching my uh, youngest daughter's basketball team. And uh, all of, we have five girls, as I mentioned last week, all of them have enjoyed basketball, and Christy and I enjoy that as well, and so it's a, a fun thing that we get to do together. But if you were to come to one of our practices, or one of my other girls' team's practices, you would see me having them do some things that are hard. 
You might see them running and drilling for a long time back and forth. Why, why is that? Well, it, it could be because they made some mistake in practice or in games and, or they're lollygagging and being silly and I'm saying, hey, we need to focus and so get on the baseline and we're going to run as a response to something. But most likely, at least with, with my team especially, we've got a bunch of sweet girls who work hard, it's just that they need to do those things. If they're going to get better and be prepared for the games that they're going to play, they need to do those hard things. So discipline that is corrective and discipline that is more formative can look very similar. You know, you might think of, of something you have your kids do at home, like, like cleaning the bathroom. You know, this might be a regular routine expectation of them, intended to teach them how to work hard and how to serve others and how to do gross things and how to care for one's home, lessons that will benefit them for a lifetime. It also might be a consequence for a, a sin in their life, maybe a failure to obey their mother all afternoon. And so when dad gets home after a conversation, says, well, you, to help you remember the attitude you're to have, you're going to go clean the bathroom. And in that, you're also going to learn all those other things, but you're learning that sin has consequences. So as we think of discipline, some, some of what we will focus on is on the corrective aspect of that, much of it. But I want us to keep the broader picture in mind. Now, as we work through what the scriptures have to say about discipline, I want us to look at five realities that should shape our discipline or training, both that which is corrective in response to sin and formative, that which is preemptively training for the future. The first thing I want us to think about together is that your discipline must be shaped by the nature of your children. Your discipline must be shaped by the nature of your children. You see, how God made your children, the realities that are true in creation and the realities that are true as your children are now sinners, shape how we discipline and train our children. I don't know how many of you guys have, have a pet, like a dog. We have a dog. There's, there's vast differences between how we train our children and how we train our dog. Now, there may be some similarities in a little bit ways here and there, but there's significant differences. Why? Well, because my dog is a dog, and my children are, are children. They're people. And so there's huge implications for how we train related to the nature of our children. First one is that my children, our children, are made in the image of God. We, we saw this last week in Genesis chapter 1 where it says that God made man in his own image. Your children, my children, are image bearers of God. They reflect God's character and nature in various ways. This is unique for people, and it is a significant reason why people are to be treated with dignity and honor, regardless of how they are responding or interacting. There is a value that is associated with them because they reflect the nature and character of God. Not perfectly, but in actuality. And so when we discipline, our discipline is not to be done in a way that is demeaning, that is intended to humiliate or harm them. Even in discipline, they are to be treated with appropriate honor and dignity. Now again, does that mean that they can't clean toilets? No. But it means our attitude and the way that we interact with them recognizes those realities. Second reality that shapes our discipline is they will exist for all of eternity, either in heaven or in hell. You see, more is at stake than simply this life. You know, when I think of training our dog, there are some things that we have tried to train our dog in that have been unsuccessful. And we have largely at this stage, our dog is old enough that, you know, the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And so we've largely said, eh, oh well. <laughs> like if she, if she runs out in the street and doesn't come back and she gets hit by a car, it will be sad, but she is a dog. 
It, it's different than if, if, the, if there's a, a larger issue at stake, which is true for our kids. You see, our kids have an eternal destiny, either in heaven or hell. More is at stake than simply this life, which motivates us and helps us to recognize the significance of discipline. A third reality that's true of our children is they are sinners. You know, most parents in the, in the United States, if you were to ask them about the moral nature of their children, they, they would probably say that they are either basically good or at least morally neutral. Now, they, they haven't, uh, they, they would be hard-pressed to, uh, to really defend that after living with their kids for a little bit. Um, but, but most people want to believe that they are good, therefore their children are good, or at least neutral. And so the primary focus is simply not messing them up. That's why there's an emphasis on letting kids kind of do their own thing and go their own ways, because we as parents shouldn't mess them up. But the Bible says differently. Our kids do have a moral compass. They know right and wrong, but the problem is that they choose what is wrong. Proverbs 22.15, we'll turn to this verse multiple times as we consider the issue of discipline, says this. It says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You see, your children have a problem, same problem you have, which is that foolishness is bound up in their heart. Now, foolishness is not just silliness in the Bible. It's not a, a word for just making bad decisions. It's, it's connected to one's view of God and response to God. And so the problem for our children is that they have a disposition or a, a pattern of rebellion against God. J.C. Ryle put it, put it this way. He said, remember, children are born with a decided bias toward evil, and therefore if you let them choose for themselves, they are certain to choose wrong. The mother cannot tell what her tender infant may grow up to be, tall or short, weak or strong, wise or foolish, more in an intelligence type sense. He may or may not be any of those. It is all uncertain. But one thing the mother can say with certainty, he will have a corrupt and sinful heart. It is natural for us to do wrong. Our hearts are like the earth on which we tread. Let it alone, and it is sure to bear weeds. You see, left to you, their own desires... Your children will continue to grow in their rebellion against God. See, it's not an option for us to do nothing. If your kids were basically good or even morally neutral, you could simply positively reward good behavior. You know, more like training a dog, although I'm not sure that my dog is morally neutral either. Um, I think my dog has, has an, an evil intent sometimes too. <laughs> But you could just reward good behavior. But kids need discipline. Why? Because they are headed the wrong direction. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14 says, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. You see, discipline is a rescue mission designed to save your kids from hell. Your discipline is, is seeking to, um, to save them from certain destruction. Now, this also means that your discipline must be focused on more than just behavioral change. It must be with the desire that God would change their heart. It's not just getting your kids to act differently. It's, it's wanting to see the disposition of their heart towards God changed, a different attitude and perspective um, towards God that results in, in responding differently to him and his commands. Now, as we talked last time, there's a balance of, of embracing God's sovereignty, recognizing we can't do that, but also the responsibility that God has given us. And he says that responsibility is faithfully fulfilled in, in discipline. So understanding the nature of our kids helps us recognize the importance of parental discipline. As John Engel James wrote in his book, The Christian Father is Present to His Children, a gardener may sow the choicest seeds, but if he neglects to pluck up weeds and prune wild overgrowth, he must not expect to see his flowers grow or his garden flourish. 
And so a parent may deliver the best instructions, but if he does not by discipline eradicate evil tempers, correct bad habits, repress wicked corruptions, nothing excellent can be looked for. So our discipline must be shaped by the nature of our children, image bearers of God treated with respect, who will exist for all of eternity and who are sinners on a path currently to hell if they do not repent and respond to the gospel. Second reality for us to consider is that our discipline must be shaped by God's discipline of his children. And we're going to spend a fair amount of time on this this morning. Oh, it should be. I'm not sure why it's not. There we go. Sorry about that. Uh, Your discipline must be shaped by God's discipline of his children. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to spend a fair amount of time looking at how God disciplines his children because it, it shapes how we think and how we should respond in discipline of our children. Again, as we talked last time, there's a balance of the fact that if we're in Christ, we are God's child and therefore we're disciplined by him. But there's also the reality that in parenting, we get to model God's nature and character for our children. Deuteronomy 8 is an account of God's dealing with his children, the nation of Israel, in the wilderness. If you look at verse 5 of Deuteronomy 8, It says this, it says, thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So this chapter really gives us a picture of God's discipline, of how God disciplined his children. Back in verse 1, it it says all the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you should be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Remember the the book of Deuteronomy was written to the generation who was going to go into the land after the the prior generation was dying off in the wilderness. So they had been in the wilderness these these 40 years. Notice what he says, They, they were there that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep his command, the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will... Eat food without scarcity in which you will lack, not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. You see, God in his interactions with the nation of Israel during those 40 years in the wilderness was doing what? Well, he was preparing them for entrance into this good land, that coming generation. And there were certain things that he did or didn't do, certain experiences he brought to bear on them in preparation for that future. And and he says, this is a picture of God disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Well, we see this fleshed out even more in Hebrews chapter 12. Turn over to Hebrews 12, which gives us really principles of God's discipline. So think about what we just heard and saw, and, and God gives us kind of the, the principle form of that over in Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems, to be, uh, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now as we look at these principles in Hebrews 12 and the picture of Deuteronomy 8, I, I want us to just consolidate some things in, in a, a couple of questions that we'll work through. The first is, what is God's relationship to his children. As we think about discipline and we think about God's discipline, that discipline occurs within the context of a relationship. God is in relationship to his children and our discipline is to be in the context of a relationship. And we see in these, these passages that God is a loving father of his children. Back in Deuteronomy 8, there's a context there of God having redeemed them from slavery. The people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, and God rescued them and brought them out and was preparing to put them into the land of promise. For us, in, and those in Hebrews chapter 12, God had loved, uh, loved us and, and rescued us from sin. You see, discipline is one aspect of a father's relationship with their child, but it is not the only aspect of a father's relationship with their child. We also see that God was an authority over his children. What was his emphasis back in Deuteronomy chapter 8? It was that they keep his commands. He says, I... I've, I'm writing these things so that you will obey my commands, and I've done these things to test you, to humble you, so that you will not forget me, but you will continue to obey me when you enter this good land. There was a recognition of God's authority. Just to speak frankly, so many parents today simply want to be their child's friend or maybe advisor. I don't know if that's a reaction to some maybe authoritarian parenting that, that people grew up in or if it's just that our culture has such a low view of authority, but the Bible is clear, parents are an authority over their children. You don't have to feel bad telling your kids to do something or not do something. That's part of what God does for his children and it's part of what he has given you to do. God doesn't apologize for telling children to obey their parents. You're an authority. That's right. You are to be a loving authority, not a self-centered one, but you are an authority. God is a loving father, a loving authoritative father, and that is the context in which he disciplines. Notice, secondly, who is disciplined by God? Look back at Hebrews 12. It says, God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You see, God disciplines every one of his children whom he loves. Those who are his sons, those whom he loves. Now again, there is more to being a son than simply being disciplined, God's discipline takes place in the context of a broader loving relationship. Discipline must be exercised in the context of a loving family relationship. It's an expression of belonging to a, a family. But if you are not disciplined, you are being treated more like an orphan 
than a member of the family. Again, there's other expressions of belonging to a family that need to be present, uh, to be loved and delighted in, to be protected and cared for, to have their needs met. But in Hebrews 12 here, it says, if you are not disciplined, you are an illegitimate child. You are not loved. Now, so many parents say things like, I love my child too much to discipline them in that way. That's not true. God says, no. You love yourself too much to discipline your child, but you do not love your child too much. Why? Because they love, your kid loves discipline, and they're like, yay, that was great, Dad. Thanks so much for making me miserable for a time. No, because you see the long-term picture. You know my kid's on a path to hell, and the loving thing to do is not to say, oh, well, <laughs> that's not fun. I'm not going to do that. No, the loving thing is to say, I, I care so much about you that I am eager to discipline you even though it's hard because I love you. God disciplines every son whom he loves. It's an expression of his love. Doesn't mean that it is always received as that. He uses phrases in, in verse 5, don't faint when you're reproved by him. Does that sound pleasant? Yeah, no. You know, don't, don't, he scourges every son whom he receives. I mean, discipline is not enjoyable, but it is an expression of love from God. Now, why does God discipline his children? Why is it that expression of, of love? Well, he does it for their good and maturity as preparation for the future. That's what we saw in, in Deuteronomy 8, wasn't it? He says, you get to go through this in the wilderness to prepare you for what is coming, that which is good. Now, it was also corrective. It was, they were going to spend some time in the wilderness regardless. On their way to the promised land, they disobeyed, and so they got a lot more time in the wilderness. But God was preparing them. We see that here in Hebrews chapter 12. Why does God discipline well, he does so for the future. There's an, an anticipation of what is coming. And what are those specific goals of that discipline? Well, he says that they will obey him. We saw that again in, in Deuteronomy, an emphasis on obedience to God, and that they will ultimately be like him. Notice verse 10 of of Hebrews 12, it says they, they disciplined us, our earthly fathers, for a short time as seemed best to them. And I think that's, that's certainly one of the differences between our discipline and God's. We do our best. God always gets it right. We, we do the best we can, hopefully. Um, but God does that. Why? So that we may share his holiness. God's goal in discipline of us is that we obey him, that we humble ourselves before him, and that we become like him, sharing in his holiness. That is to be our desire as well, to submit to and respond to the authority that God is in humility and to become like him. That should be your highest goal as an Individual, or individual follower of Christ, and it should be your goal for your children to recognize you're not your own master, that you, you don't always know what's best, that you don't always get what you want, that, that God is the one who is sovereign over our lives and, and who is the authority in our lives, and we are, are to come under that authority as God intends. Bruce Ray, in his book, Withhold Not Correction, says that's our, one of our, our primary goals with our kids. He says, our motive for discipline is to bring our children into a subordinate relationship to the authority of the living God and not just ourselves. If we seek to make our children submit to us alone, we have failed in our biblical responsibility. Rather, God says we are to bring them into submission to him. All of our discipline, nurture, instruction, and warning must be framed in this context to bring them to the point where they become obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, we, we want our children not simply to obey us, although oftentimes that's where our motive can stop. If you do what I say, life would be good for me. 
But the goal is, no, that they come to obey God. That's why the, the fact that your kids are to obey you is rooted not in the fact that you're bigger than them, not in the fact that you birthed them, not in the fact that, that you are providing for them, but chiefly in the fact that God says children are to obey their parents. It's about your children and God more than simply about your children and you. So we want our children to come under the authority of God. We want to direct them and discipline and train them towards that end, and we want them to be like him, to be holy, to be ones who are not mastered by their own appetites, to, to share God's affections, to love the things that God loves. That was, again, what God was doing to the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Why did God, God put them through those difficult things that they faced? So they would learn, as it said, that man doesn't live by bread alone. It's not about having the best meal. It's about your relationship with God through his word that he has revealed himself so that they would become like him. Ultimately, verse, um, verse 11 says, those who are trained by it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's the, that's the goal. That's that holiness and likeness to Christ, living righteously as God is righteous. Well, how does God bring that about? How does he pursue those specific goals? What are the means of God's discipline? I want you to, to look back briefly at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and at Hebrews chapter 12 and see what you see. What are, what are some of the ways that God disciplined, the means of God's discipline? Think more categories than things like kept their shoes from wearing out. What are the means of God's discipline? How did God discipline his children? Anybody want to share something you see? Okay. Yeah, endure hardship. So God allowed or even brought hardship into their life as a means of discipline. What else? Okay. He's provided earthly fathers and means of discipline. What else? Yeah, he allowed them to become hungry to humble them in those ways. Yeah. I'll give you a few that have stood out to me from these texts and elsewhere. Some of the means of God's discipline. One is through teaching and instruction. We see that's what he's doing in Deuteronomy. Discipline is, again, not separate from those things. He's teaching them and instructing them in what it is that they are to uh, know and think and respond to obey him. We also see God's discipline through rules and consequences and rewards. Why were they in the, in the wilderness? Well, it was consequences for what they had failed to do. Later in Deuteronomy 8, God gives them the law, and it's a series of, of commands that come with, with um, consequences if they disobey and blessings if they obey a means of discipline. We also see circumstances he allows and brings circumstances that shape, develop, and test character. This is things like he humbled them and, and allowed them to be hungry. Again, think about that as a parent. Does that mean you shouldn't feed your kids lunch today? Like, sorry, kid, no lunch. You're going to see how you respond. No, but, but think how, how different of a perspective that is than what is so prominent in parenting today. So many parents today if their child is in a hard situation or circumstance, what is their immediate response to that? How can I change your circumstance? You know, it's like, oh, you have a, uh, a difficult, um, um, you know, a difficult situation with a, a coach. How can I, can I get you on a new team as fast as possible or, or certain things? Again, there's wisdom in parenting and protecting our children and making decisions for those things. 
But there's also wisdom sometimes in saying, you know what? <laughs> Hard things are good for you. And we're going to allow you to go through that. And sometimes we may even bring those hard things in. So circumstances that shape or develop or test character. We even see it in his provision and his withholding of things. It's a good thing sometimes for us to tell our kids, no, you can't have that or you can't have that right now. It's also a good thing for us to provide for our children, to give them things that are good for them. God God does all of these things. And he does these things for the good of his children, to shape their character, to cause them to have a humble heart before him, to love him and obey him, and to become like him in preparation for the future. Now, God does this perfectly. God has ultimate and infinite wisdom. He knows our hearts. He knows what is best for us. This is one reason why we can submit to his discipline as his children. If God brings hard things into your life and he is shaping your character through those, you can embrace that because you know God is good and wise and loving and he's doing this to, to shape my character into conformity to Christ. We struggle as parents to do this well. We don't have his wisdom, but we should be striving to imitate God in, in how he trains us in, as we train our children. One of the things we need to imitate is not simply what he did, but how he does disciplines. What are the characteristics of his discipline? I just want to note a couple things. God is patient. God does not discipline in a, a, a harsh response in an unthinking way. God didn't react when, when the nation of Israel disobeyed and rebelled and and didn't go into the land as promised. God was not angry and and in a mood and said, well, you guys are going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And then a little bit later, he's like, oh, why did I say that? That's sometimes what we do as parents. We react and then we're like, oh, why did I say that? But God God is patient. He, He does not respond off the cuff and he is slow to, to, to discipline in, in many ways. But he is also intentional in that. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about God's discipline, having been a believer for a number of years, is that he doesn't try to change everything at once in us. If you've been a Christian, you know that there's a lot that you need to change and grow in, and God does not hit you over the head with all of it tomorrow and say, okay, this is all the things that you're... He does reveal things gradually over time and continue to work. He's got a long-term vision for your becoming like Christ. doesn't mean he's okay with sin, but he's patient and, and has a long-term perspective. I think that's, that's also an aspect we are to imitate as, as parents. Your kids will not be mature tomorrow. It's a long-term prospect. I mean, we, we've got a, a 20-year-old and, and a, a 19-year-old, and we often have said as they've gotten to where it's time to go out of the house, it's like, well, you know, we've taught them, we've tried to teach them everything we thought to teach them. It's time for them to now learn elsewhere because we've, we've sought to do what we could, and they need to learn from others. It's not that they're like, they're perfect at, by that point. It's like, no, we, we've tried to be faithful, and hopefully they have been as well. But there's a long-term goal of, of growth over time. He's also consistent. See, God's patience does not mean that he is inconsistent in his discipline, that he just says, well, you know, take a year off and, and, you know, I'll re-engage later on. No, he's faithful and yet patient. This is, I think, such a challenge for us as parents, I know personally, where it's like I can use patience as a justification to be like, well, I'm not going to worry about anything with my kids for a while. Take a break from this. And, and God doesn't do that. He's consistent, but he's consistent and patient, and he's intentional in that. He, he, he's thoughtful in what he brings and why he brings it. Even in Deuteronomy 8, when he says, I did this so that this would happen, what does that communicate? Oh, there was a thinking and thoughtfulness about why I'm doing this so that this that should be true of us as well. Again, we don't have God's wisdom. We, we have 
Uh, we do the best we can, as Hebrews even said, but we do have wisdom from God's Word as to how to respond in the various situations that we find ourselves. So as you think about disciplining your children, I hope you will not just rush to the specifics that God says to you as a parent. I hope you'll also step back and think about how God disciplines his children, and you will seek to be like him in the character that he displays and the intentionality that he displays in the long-term vision and even in the means that he uses as, as he seeks to shape us as we do so as parents. A third reality for us to consider, zeroing in on the specifics that God's word says to us as parents regarding discipline, is your discipline must be shaped by the warnings and exhortations of scripture. Your discipline must be shaped by the warnings and exhortations of scripture. Turn to Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot to say about parenting and discipline, we'll consider. Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18 says this. It says, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. He says, the neglect of discipline is is tantamount to desiring his death. Why is that? Well, it's because of what we've already seen, that when we, when we understand the trajectory of our kids as sinners, that if we just stand back and do nothing, if we don't discipline our children, we are just allowing them to continue on that course. He says, on the other hand, discipline your son while there is hope. What, what does this mean? What is he speaking of when he says, discipline your son while there is hope? Well, I think the implication is certainly that at some point there is not the same degree of hope, that there comes a time where that, that direction is set. Ultimately, that comes in, in death when, when one's eternity is sealed. But I, I think the principle that he is teaching here and one that we see elsewhere is, is that we need to be careful not to neglect discipline when your children are young. You see, there are formative years of our children's lives where we have an opportunity to shape the course of their life and thinking, and there is much hope in that process. At some point... <laughs> that opportunity is no longer there. Now, again, he's not saying that we should ever lose hope when it comes to a, one of our children. God is faithful and gracious, and, and many in this room were saved and had the course of their life radically altered later in life, even as their parents maybe were not as, as faithful, were not in Christ. So it's not that the Proverbs are teaching this as an ironclad reality, but it is helping us to think about the importance of discipline when our kids are young. Look at Proverbs 22.6. This is a very familiar verse, probably to all of us in this room, where, which says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, you may have heard this verse as a, uh, as a promise, or you may have had this verse hanging in your, in your kitchen or something growing up, or maybe you do now, and I don't want to ruin it for you entirely, but, um, but this verse is not a promise. Proverbs are principles for how life normally functions in God's world. This verse is not a guarantee that if you parent well, your children will be faithful to God. Part of that is the fact that you, you will never be all you should be as a parent. Um, but as we've t seen even, even last week, God is sovereign over, over the work in our hearts. Good parents, faithful parents can have kids who rebel against the Lord. And, and ungodly parents have children who come to faith and who walk with Christ. So this is a, a general principle. It's not an ironclad guarantee. What, what is it saying? Some take it to say, Train up a child in the way he should go, parent faithfully, and when he, a child is old, he will not depart from it. He will continue that, and that's, that's possible, but it's not 
uh, as, as clear in the original language as it may seem in the English here, when it says train up a child in the way he should go, you, you could translate that, train up a child according to his own way. Train up a child according to his own way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what, what would he be saying in, in that case? Well, some take it as train up a child according to his own way, according to his unique bent and personality, helping him to become all that he should be, and when he's old, he will be faithful to live out those things. It's possible, and I think likely, that this is, is actually a warning. Train up a child according to his own way, allow him to go his own way, allow him to live how he wants to live, give him unlimited self-expression and autonomy, and when he's old, guess what? He won't depart from it. He'll continue to live centered on himself in that way. Again, all of those are legitimate interpretations of this verse, but what I want you to see, the larger principle is, is what? It's that how you train a child has an impact on them for the rest of their life. Regardless of if this is a warning, don't be passive in your parenting and let your kids have their own way or they'll be selfish their whole life. Or whether this is a, a direction to train up your child according to the uniqueness of each child to some degree so that they thrive. Or whether this is a reminder to be faithful in parenting, the, the all of which are true, the point is, we as, as parents have a unique opportunity to shape our children when they are young, an opportunity that will continue to bear fruit for the rest of their life. So parents, we need to not neglect discipline when our children are young. We need to recognize the unique opportunity God gives while our children are in our house to be involved and engaged and to make the most of that. Now, don't hear in that, you know, oh, I wish I'd taken this class last year because I feel like I've, I've wasted that time or don't feel like, you know, here in that, I want to be faithful in the opportunities God has before me. We all have regrets as we look back at parenting. I mean, even if your kids are very young, I'm sure you can see things that it's like, oh, I wish I had, had thought about this or done this differently. If your kids are older, I am confident that as you look back, you say, oh, I wish we had handled things differently. Again, God is gracious and faithful. This is an exhortation to be faithful as we move forward. Do not neglect discipline when your children are young. It's also an exhortation to those who have young children to be faithful from the time they are young. Because the temptation is to say, oh, that's so cute when they're three. When she looks at me with those eyes and she giggles and then she runs and does the exact opposite of what I told her to do, it's kind of cute and funny. Well, let me remind you that when she's 13, it's not as cute and funny. And when she's 23, living a, an autonomous life focused on herself, not submitting to Christ, it really is not funny. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't smile at your wife at the expression your three-year-old daughter makes in her disobedience. But it does mean that we need to be intentional to shape our kids and to discipline our kids when they are young. This takes a lot of energy and effort. It takes a lot of focus and priority. But it is worth it. Discipline your children while there is hope. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. A second warning of Scripture is to not provoke, not discipline in a way that provokes your children to anger. Turn back to, to Ephesians chapter 6 where we started. Ephesians chapter 6 said, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you turn over a couple pages to uh, Colossians chapter 3, it says something similar in verse 21. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. 
We're not to provoke our children to anger. We're not to exasperate our children, to, to create a context for our children where they lose heart and where they lose hope. Our discipline should not be one that provokes our children or that squashes our children and gives them a, a sense of hopelessness because we exasperate them. You, you've probably been in a, a job or a, a setting at school where, where you felt exasperated or provoked to anger. Maybe as a child you think back to your own parents and, and, and you were provoked to anger in those ways. Now, that doesn't mean that it's okay for us to respond in anger in situations that provoke us in that way, but as those who are the authority, who are disciplining our children, we need to be careful that we are not using that authority in a way that provokes or exasperates our children. This doesn't mean that every time your child gets angry, you have done something wrong. Kids get angry for a lot of reasons, because of the sinfulness of their hearts. The Bible says we get angry because we want something and we don't get it. We have a strong desire and, and sinfully angry. We have a strong desire that, that is, is not satisfied and therefore we respond in anger. Well, if you're faithfully parenting your children, there will be all kinds of times where you do not give them what they want. And so they are tempted to, and likely will, get angry. God doesn't always give us what we want. We just saw that in Deuteronomy 8. A big part of discipline is withholding what someone wants, what they desire, to help them desire something else, to help them desire the Lord more than whatever it is that they want. But we do need to be thoughtful and careful that in that process, we are not provoking our children to, dis to anger or exasperating them, causing them to lose heart. What are some ways we can do that? Well, there's a, a, a really helpful book or a chapter in the book, The Faithful Parent by Stuart Scott and Martha Peace called Parents Who Provoke. And, uh, and The Heart of Anger by Lou Priolo is a, a great book on dealing with kids' anger, and it has a, a, a chapter in there that's a whole lot of ways that we can provoke our kids to anger. But let me just give you a few. One way we can provoke our kids to anger is by excessive or unreasonable expectations or discipline. Excessive or unreasonable expectations or discipline. I think this can show up in, in a couple of ways. One is by not thinking age appropriately about the expectations that we place on our children. So if we're expecting, you know, too much of a young child for what they are able to do, then we are, um, are likely to provoke them to anger. You know, I don't mean necessarily like expecting your your three-year-old to make their bed and put all their laundry away, although that would be in this category. But sometimes I think we just don't expect kids to be kids. There's a difference in childishness, things that characterize children, and, and foolishness, things that are sinful. So, so the child who's eating a bowl of cereal and who spills their cereal or gets some milk on the floor on their pants it, it may well be dis different than the child who knowingly flings that f spoon and is like catapulting cereal at their brother, right? One of those is kind of a normal part of kids being kids. Kids are learning how to, to control a spoon to bring it to their mouth, and so they're going to make a mess. But catapulting cereal across the table when you've told them not to is foolishness. If, if we expect our kids not to do anything that kids do, and that's our standard, we're going to exasperate them. We're going to provoke them to anger. So excessive or unreasonable expectations for them, and just excessive discipline. We'll talk more about that in the coming, um, coming session. But if, if we just are, are over the top in what we give them to do as discipline, we will provoke them to anger. Uh, a second way we can do that is simply the tone that we do that, a harshness. We've, we've discussed how children are image bearers of God. They're made in God's image and to be treated with respect. If we are simply harsh and critical of them, that shows that we have made it all about us, that we are, we are offended. Instead of viewing it as an issue between them and God, 
we will likely provoke them to anger. We will exasperate them. We can provoke our kids to anger by how we use our authority, by the abuse of our authority, by selfishly using our, um, our authority for our own gain. You know, as, as a parent of, of teenagers, you know, if I'm, if I'm always sitting on the couch watching TV, ordering my kids around to do stuff like, hey, go empty the dishwasher and go do this and go do that and go do that and go do that, and I'm never serving my family. I'm using that authority in a way that is self-centered. Now, I have my kids take out the trash and the recycling and empty the dishwasher and all of those things because it's good for them and because it's right and I want to teach them and train them. But they also should see me serving and, and I should not be telling them to do all the stuff that I don't want to do um, just because I don't want to do it. It should be an intentionality there. So not using our authority selfishly. Another way we can provoke our kids to anger is by a, a lack of consistency or an arbitrariness. If one day it's fine to take your, you know, your food into the living room and eat it while you're jumping on the couch, and the next day it's not, and if you do that, I get really angry and I discipline you really quickly, and then the next day it's fine again, and then it's not, that is a discouragement to our kids because the standard is constantly changing and they don't know what, is, what it's going to be in that particular day. That's a way to provoke your kids to anger, a lack of consistency or an arbitrariness that relates more to how you feel at the moment than to what you would genuinely expect of them. And un this can show up in a, an unfairness or a lack of of, of equity towards our children, this doesn't mean you need to treat them all the same. You know, we have five girls and they're all keenly aware of when they think they've been treated unjustly. You let her do this and you don't let her do this. And I was 14 years old and three months when, when uh, I got to do this and you're letting her do this at 13 years and eight months. And I'm like, who knew? Like, not really. They're not that, not that. But, but the, our kids have a, a real eager desire to be treated rightly or slightly better than their siblings. And, and so it's not that we will always treat our kids the same, but if we allow certain children to, to get away with certain things, you know, oh, she never ends up doing her chores um, because of whatever reason and, and we always are on her, that's gonna provoke our children to anger. Again, your kid's perspective is not necessarily right, um, but you do need to be sensitive to those things and to be thoughtful. We can provoke our kids to anger just by the, the, the tone, I mentioned harshness, but by humiliating them, how we discipline them, doing it in a way that is more about shaming them rather than genuinely seeking to correct them and, and to help them to grow. Our kids need to know that that discipline is coming from a loving parent, a parent who values them and who respects them and who is eager to see them grow. Again, that doesn't mean that they will always receive that discipline. You can discipline very faithfully and your children will still get angry at you at times. But we need to be careful that we are not disciplining in a way that provokes your children to anger. You know, it's interesting, in these two verses, Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, they're very brief verses, aren't they? The, the instruction that God gives in like Ephesians 6, 4 to parents, I mean, it's packed tight. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And he spends half of that verse, do not provoke your children to anger. Because this is such a temptation to us. You know, and, and the Colossians 3 one, exasperating our children is such a temptation to us as parents. It's so easy to do that because we are selfish. <laughs> because we parent with a focus on how our kids are affecting us more than we parent with how our kids are related, relating to God. You know, as we, as we conclude, we'll, we'll uh, get into some more nitty-gritty next week, but I, I want you to, to walk away thinking in that way primarily today, is that how we discipline our kids is not chiefly related to how they are affecting us. How we discipline our kids should be chiefly related to our desire to see them relating rightly to God. But it's so easy to do the opposite. 
You know, I think of things in, in, uh, in my own life as a parent, you know, where what are the things that make me the most upset that my kids do? You know, maybe it's, you know, I value the, the physical stuff in my world, my house. And so when my kids do something like spill grape juice or, or uh, I don't know that they ever did that, but like fingernail polish on the carpet. <laughs> That's happened multiple times. Um, you know, and that makes me really... And, and a lot of discipline coming because carpet is expensive and hard to replace. Well, that's, that's not, that, that shows more about what focus, that I'm worried about how my kids are affecting me and my carpet. It may show very little about their relationship to God. Now, again, I may need to talk to them about it. We may have rules now about where you can do nails. Um, and... Or I may say, hey, I know you didn't mean to do that, <laughs> and, and that's okay, and help me cut out part of the carpet or do whatever we need to do. You know, so it's, it's, but in the moment, so often, we respond in discipline because of how their sin or how whatever they're doing, not even sin sometimes, just being kids, how it affects us, and we need to be focused on preparing our kids for the future in relationship to God. God disciplines us so that we will obey him, so that we will be humble before him, so that we will share in his holiness, so that afterwards we will be trained and and yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's to be our motivation with our kids, to train and instruct them to that same end. Now next time we'll pick up with a a third warning and exhortation of scripture that the, the rod is the primary means God has given you to discipline your children. And we'll unpack that more as we, uh, as we go and consider the speci- more specifics about discipline across different seasons of life as well. So look forward to continuing that conversation and that theme. So let's pray together. Our Father, we're grateful that you discipline us, not because it's pleasant, not because in the moment we always um, enjoy it, but because it is an expression of your love for us and, and because you are faithful to prepare us for the future. You're faithful to work in our lives to, to help us see the idols in our heart, the, the desires and affections that control us that are ultimately um, fleeting and vain. And Lord, you are refining us to, to grow in your character and a love for you, and we thank you for that. And we thank you that you have given us that role in the lives of our kids to discipline and train them, to be faithful, to, to shape their lives both with our, our um, commands and with consequences and rewards and, and with the circumstances and opportunities that we bring into their life. Lord, I pray that you would give us your heart Help us not to do so in a way that is self-centered and, and just focused on how our kids affect us, but help us to do so with a, a long-term view of their relationship with you. Help us to discipline our kids while there's hope. Help us to, to be a part of rescuing their soul from Sheol. Lord, bring us back next week so that we can continue to think more practically about the application of these things as we seek to do so in faithfulness before you. We love you and thank you and entrust the rest of our day to you in Christ's name.